0: You're listening to Life Repurposed, where you'll find practical biblical wisdom for everyday living, creative inspiration, and helpful resources. Grow your faith, improve your relationships, discover your purpose, and reach your goals with topics to encourage you to find hope amid the trashy stuff of life. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn. Hello there. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 119. We're almost to the end of season four. I have a couple more guest interviews, and then a solo episode, and then a little bit of a break for Christmas, and then coming back in the new year with some new things on the podcast. So this week, I have a guest. I'm going to be talking with Michelle Morin. She's one of the authors in the Life Repurposed book. Michelle is a reader, a writer, a speaker, and a gardener who does life with her family on a country hill in Maine. She has been married to an unreasonably patient husband for 30 years, and together they have four sons, two daughters in love, and three adorable grandchildren. She's active in educational ministries with her local church, and delights in sitting at a table surrounded by women with open Bibles. Michelle loves hot tea and well-crafted sentences, poems that stop her in her tracks, and days at the ocean with the whole family. This week, Michelle and I talked about the habits of holiness and healthy spiritual practices, and after struggling with her faith, she found new balance with what she calls being intently haphazard with her routines— We'll talk about that, we'll laugh a little bit about being boy moms, and I hope that you'll find some common ground here as you listen to Michelle tell her story of struggling when she was at a Christian college. Here's my talk with Michelle Morin. Welcome, Michelle, to Life Repurposed, and thank you for sitting down to talk with me today.
1: I've been looking forward to this.
0: So I noticed in your bio you talked about days at the ocean. I'd love to know what a day at the ocean looks like for you. Well, we have done this all ever since our kids were little.
1: Um, we basically pack them up, pack enough food to last for the whole day. I had four sons. And so a lot of salt and sand and crashing into waves. And just, you know, <laughs> the, the day at the ocean is a is an event. And so, you know, we'd have a picnic and the kids would enjoy the tide coming and the tide going. And, you know, we still do that when not even though I've got two married sons and you know, everybody's kind of off doing their own thing. At least once a summer, we try to schedule a time when all of us that are in the state, at least, can can get together. And, and you know, the grandchildren are there now. And, and you know, we use lots of sunscreen, and we still pack up lots of food. And of course, there are certain menu items that are required, like <laughs> whoopie pies. And, you know, it's it's just a fun day and something we all enjoy.
0: That does sound fun. I'm a boy mom too. Only I have only two of them. So I can't imagine raising four. Well,
1: A boy home has a certain character to it and a certain decibel level as you know. So
0: Yes, it does. So did (laughs) you get any granddaughters in the mix? I have. I have one granddaughter (laughs) and it's lovely.
1: And um, we do tea parties and she's (laughs) such a little girl and it's such a It's such a learning curve for me, you know, basically right now she's three. So she likes to do all the same things that her older brother likes to do. Um, But she just has her own way of being in the world. And I'm trying to trying to just really get in on that and enjoy it because she's, (laughs) she's amazing.
0: I have one granddaughter. So she has now tipped the score in my favor because the daughters-in-law evened the score and then a granddaughter tipped it. There's two grandbabies on the way. And I oh. by the time this airs, I'll know what they are, but I don't know. But I'm thinking, wouldn't that be fun if they were also girls? <laughs> yeah, I've got a long way to go because I have two grandsons
1: and one granddaughter. <laughs> and, then, you know, we've still got one son that's not married and one that's engaged. So, you know, it will, I don't know if we'll ever catch up, but I don't know. I, I kind of <laughs> like the
0: guy the guy vibe anyway. It's It's fun. So do you feel like raising boys changed you, like, in personality?
1: Yes. Oh, heavens.
0: If if you know how they had the senior
1: superlatives like most likely to succeed and most scientific and all that, if there had been a least likely to have four sons and be happily married to their father, I would have won that one. I I just um, had so much to learn. You know, the first time my kids played in the mud and and they actually they rolled in a puddle and the first time the two oldest came to the door covered from head to toe. I just cried because I didn't know what to do. I mean, what do you do when they're just that covered? <laughs> and I had so much to learn about just chilling, you know, just, yeah. just ride with whatever's going on and don't try to control every stray atom in the universe and enjoy. I, I In fact, I wish I had enjoyed them more. I wish I had just
0: me too. You know, had
1: let my hair down a little bit more and just let things be. But I, you know, I, I think, Yeah, definitely. I have changed because of the boys.
0: You're telling my story, I think, because it's the same thing. It's like the first time we got out Play-Doh, I freaked out or having them help me bake in the kitchen. I wish I had been a lot more relaxed about it.
1: Yeah. All they want to do is eat the dough. You know, it's crazy (laughs) and just everything's a mess. But that's how they do life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, what they want to do is dump the flower on the floor, then get out the Hot Wheels cars and make roads through the flowers. what yes. they want to do. Things that would not even occur
1: to you. And the <laughs> things that you hear yourself saying to them are just over the
0: top. You know,
1: things you never would dream anybody would do. You're saying, don't do that. Yes. So. Yes.
0: But it's fun. I, I think I learned a new language and it was friendly sarcasm.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: So if there's a way of relating to boys that has there's like this balance of it it has to be firm but also has to have a little bit of humor mixed in it's like they have their own language and in our house we discovered friendly sarcasm not not cutting because there's sarcasm that hurts but right you know (laughs)
1: that's a good way to describe it i like that
0: so tell me a little bit about we're going to go back and rewind a little bit to your own childhood tell me a little bit about growing up what was your faith journey like well, I came to faith
1: uh, through the ministry of my local church. Um, I didn't really grow up in what I would call a Christian home. Things were were pretty well dominated by alcoholism and mental illness as I was growing mm-hmm. up. And it just felt very tumultuous. So um, when I graduated from high school, um, I went off to college and decided to just move on, which has been mm-hmm. a pretty good strategy. And um, I didn't I didn't really have a falling out with my parents. I actually, my mom lived with us for five years at the end of her life. And so we didn't, we weren't estranged, but I just knew that I needed to keep my distance and, and have, you know, boundaries and that, that worked really well. But um, right from the beginning, it seemed like the, the following life, the Christian life for me was about ministry. Cause I I found out pretty early on that I could teach. And of course, when you're 16, the only people that you can really teach are kids. So even though I really had never been a a person that enjoyed kids, i learned to teach kids and did a lot of that kind of ministry, went to camp and was a counselor and taught five day clubs. And so I ended up majoring in Christian education uh, when I went to college, just because that seemed like the next reasonable step. And so um, I guess that's basically been, that, that's the, the trajectory that I was on. And as we kind of came into the chapter of the book, uh, Life Repurpose, that I, that I shared, that picked up my journey there in college. And all of a sudden, I looked around at um, what I believed. And uh, you know, when you're studying theology and when you're really getting into it um, with textbooks and you've got a three-inch thick commentary on Romans that you've got to read by Friday, um, you, you really start to question things. And my theology was fine. I, I never did doubt the, the um, providence of God or you know, any of the big doctrines, but it was the trappings that were driving me crazy. You mm. know, I, I just couldn't live inside the structure that I had built. And I think it had to happen at some point. What I had built as a system of doing life collapsed under its own weight because it was built so heavily on external um, appearances and requirements and box checking. And uh, well, this is what Amy Carmichael did. So I guess I better do that. And Elizabeth Mm. Elliott kept a journal. So I guess I better keep a journal. And this person has an alphabetical list of missionaries that they pray through at five o'clock in the morning. And so, you know, I was closing a Pizza Hut restaurant um, at 11 o'clock. And getting up at five so I could have my devotions before I had an eight o'clock class, and I mean it just became completely unmanageable. And um, I ran into a quote just recently um, by Eugene Peterson, who says that everything, absolutely everything in Scripture is livable. Hmm. And you know that that's a challenging statement if you've read the Old Testament especially if you've read Ezekiel. <laughs> Ezekiel's right. my, my hardest book of the Bible, but it's it's all livable. And so if we've built ourselves something that just seems completely impossible to us, then we've gone outside of what God even requires of us. Um, that's not to say that he doesn't often require hard things because he does. Mm-hmm. But if it's scriptural, then the, it's always possible to do the will of God And so um, what I had built really needed to collapse so that I could start all over again. So that's what happened.
0: So in the chapter in the book, you talk about being at a Christian college when you started to wrestle with doubt. What -hmm. was it like to be in that environment? Who could you express your thoughts to? Well, I really didn't. That's the thing. I'm sure that no one that I
1: went to school with at that time would have thought that I was struggling with Mm -hmm. anything because I had a great GPA. And I followed the dress code because this is back in the 80s, right? When you had, you know, pantyhose and that all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in the South. So even more so, you know, the Bible Belt down in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, it was this, all of a sudden, I, I just couldn't do um, the all the external stuff anymore. It, it just became so hard for me to drag myself into chapel and sit there because I, I think it was a combination of, of cynicism because, you know, in, in any Christian college in and in any gathering of believers, there's hypocrisy. And, you know, anytime you do anything, I don't care what it is, if it's a spiritual thing, legalism isn't far behind, you know? Yeah. You have to really guard yourself against that all the time. And so that's that unlivable system had just become um, just so hard for me to, to live with. Mm-hmm. But I, I was at the same time, very focused on my academics. And so that I think people weren't looking, you know, rebellion in a Christian college has a certain look and I didn't have Mm. that look. So no, I don't think
0: anybody was even aware of it really. I'm thinking about being at a Christian college and not being able to talk to somebody about what you're thinking. And, you know, you mentioned the word hypocrisy. This is something hypocrite comes up when people talk about church well, I think one of the reasons is because we do put on that appearance and we make it about things we do and the legalistic things. Mm-hmm. So what was it like when you first met somebody else who had gone through something similar or expressed the same thoughts? How did that feel?
1: I, I think it's just it's kind of like a big relief, you know, that you you're not the only one that's having these thoughts about um chapel or you know why do we why do we have to be in our dorm rooms at 10 o'clock or or, you know that sort of thing um and i i think that it it was a relief to to find my way back into some spiritual practices that felt enriching Mm -hmm. without being enslaving you know that that you you can pray every single morning at five o'clock and it's enriching it doesn't have to be enslaving. You know, it's, it's really ironic. You know, we, we build these structures and, and, and they create space for God to meet us in. And that's a very healthy thing. It's a, it's a habit of holiness that we want to, that we want to cultivate, but they can become, um, something that they never were intended to be.
0: I remember as a child thinking, you know, like it was a terrible sin if I started to eat my food, and forgot to pray before I ate.
1: Oh, so you grew up in the
0: Bible Belt, too. (laughs) I wasn't in the Bible Belt, but basically the similar mindset, yeah. And it wasn't like anybody said that, you know, nobody said it's a sin to not. It was just that this was what we did. And it was like the, oh, we forgot to pray. We have to pray. Um, Almost like, you know, as if it was not said, but implied or something, or I picked it up that way. right? How did you find your way out of that then?
1: Well, it sounds horrible, um, but there's a poet named Denise Levertov. She's written a poem with the phrase intently haphazard in it, (laughs) which I love. I love the the irony of intently haphazard, but I I feel like that's the way that would describe my spiritual practices now because they, you know, I'm still a mom. I I work as a substitute teacher. Um, I try to have my grandchildren in the house as often as I can. And so I don't really have this monastic life where I can just say, this, this is my holy time. Everyone leave mm-hmm. me alone, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not like Susanna Wesley with a dish towel over my head. <laughs> I never did get that practice down. <laughs> um, so like now um, I'm going through a thing where I, I'm reading in first Peter and um, re- I read very slowly and very repetitively. It, it takes, it's gonna take me through October. To get through the short little letter of First Peter because I like to read slowly and repetitively. So I it, it's I'm intent about it. I've written up a schedule for myself. I know this week I'm reading First Peter chapter two verses four through eight, and I'm reading them every single day. And then I go back sometimes and read the whole chapter. And and but and I'm reading a hymn every day, and I'm journaling the lyrics of the hymn that um, really stand out to me or that I think are wonderful. But that's that might change, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so I, I try not to let the tail wag the dog. Mm. The main thing is to meet with God. It's not the, what I do in the process of meeting with God. So, you know, I I try to resist anything that feels hollow or Mm. formulaic because that's when you start to be, to be controlled by the the form rather than the, the substance of it
0: how did it change raising your boys then after you came through a season of doubt, you found a road out of it one step at a time, really one mile Mm -hmm. at a time. How did that change parenting then for you?
1: That's such a good question because parents expect a degree of orthodoxy, I think from their kids that if they looked back at their own life, like when, when you were 19, what was your theology like, really? You know, why did you go to church when you were 16? Did you go because you just couldn't wait to open that Sunday school quarterly and sit there and listen to the Sunday school teacher? Or did did you have a girlfriend that you wanted to see? And that was the only place you could see them that week. And so, you know, God uses even our mixed motives. And so I that is one way that my kids really taught me about the following life in in that um, I couldn't expect from them a degree of orthodoxy that I wasn't even really clear on myself. But I think we fear so much for our kids that our parenting is a lot of times motivated by fear. We, you know, we want to drill into their heads the, the Westminster catechism so that they'll have it at their fingertips on three by five cards in the back pocket of their jeans or something, so they can whip it out in case they meet an atheist and you know fight against the, the falsehood. Um, whereas, you know, we, we have to trust God to, to keep them in the way that he kept us. And there's no reason on this planet why I should be married and happy, happily married and, and a a practicing Christian and a member of a church looking at my home life when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. but God is sovereign and he keeps his own. And so that, that has been, um, key in the way that I've looked at my kids' spiritual journeys.
0: Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations with our boys, now they're grown, but we left the door open to have the conversations of expressing a question about something, asking why we do things the way we do, being open to their input, even though we were still spiritually training them. Mm -hmm. So you went to a Christian college, I went to a state university. How did your kids end up going to Christian college or did they go to college at all?
1: um three well all four of them have gone to college and not not a single one has gone to a christian college and i'm not sure that i would have even recommended it because two of them went into a trade so they went to a community college and got an associate's degree Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um i think they inherited enough of my cynicism so that I, i wondered if they would struggle so i didn't encourage them to go to a christian college and it's been how many years since I went the cost of education now is so Mm -hmm. it's such a driving force just in getting that degree um two of them were married at least for part of their college time so that also is a a factor they weren't really free Mm -hmm. to just pick up and get on an airplane and go to California like I did so
0: yeah you know when you think about it there are some parents who really want their kids to go to a Christian college because they think it will spare them from mm. wrestling with things or from rebellion. And you probably saw in your own experience, you weren't the only one who went to a Christian college and struggled.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. So and there's a place not, for both. <laughs> right. Especially if you're going to go into ministry, you know, mm. then you need to be there and get the training that you need so that you can come in with all the information that you need. It, it just gets you started out studying the Bible and, and hermeneutically and theologically and everything mm-hmm. else. But, but I, I think every, everybody's journey has to be unique. And um, so we, we, we homeschooled our kids through high school and that's okay. another, um, it was time for them to go out and not that we sheltered them because they went to, the they did extracurricular activities through the public school and they went to the vocational school. So they, you know, they know, they knew all the four letter words and had been offered drugs and everything like that. But it's just, um, we felt like it was important for them to, to get right out and and do whatever it was that God was calling them to do. And if that involved ministry, then certainly go to a Christian college, but, Mm -hmm. but they, they, they followed a different trail.
0: Yeah. It sounds like as a parent, you weighed out each thing and decided what was best for your family. And um that's what every family has to do is like what's right for our kids versus prescribing something and jumping back into legalism for for another family. So often they
1: do things that that you never would have predicted. I didn't know welding was a thing even. You know, I I pictured my oldest son becoming a lawyer or something because he was very articulate or I mean something that would require talking because he was always so vocal and verbal and he one day just decided he was going to be a welder and he's, he's really good at it. He's got a, a management position now. And so he's, you know, who even you, your kids teach you so much about what's even out there in the, in the workforce.
0: Yeah. When I went off to a state college, I was studying nursing and I couldn't afford to go to a Christian college, even though some of them had nursing programs. I found that My faith grew when I was there because there was so much pressure from around Mm -hmm. me. But I got involved in a Christian organization on campus. So -hmm. I had that connection to people of faith. But then also, it was really, I was raised pretty sheltered. So this was my first foray into the real world, really. So outside of going to uh, public high school, but until high school, I'd gone to a Christian school. So one of the things you talk about in your chapter in Life Repurpose is that it really is a journey. And that it isn't just a a switch that flips. So what would you say to your younger self if you could give advice now looking backwards? I,
1: I think I would just say that it's important to start where you are, use what you have, and go forward. Don't try to live your way back into a former faith because you're not the same person as you were when things started to slide. And that was hard for me because i I remembered being very having a very sturdy and very um, emotional, even very confident faith. and i i I couldn't find my way back there, but I wasn't the same person that I had been back in those days. I you know I was trying to live my way back into high school and i was I had graduated from college. And um, we, we did a kitchen renovation a couple of years ago, and that picked the picture of. Tearing that kitchen apart and going right down to the studs, you know, the shiny silver insulation was showing it was a mess. and it it was the worst <laughs> it was such a mess. But we had to do that in order to create the new kitchen. And that's really what had to happen for me spiritually. I, I really had to go back to the back to the studs. And the thing that was um, surprising to me was, when as I was rebuilding, so much of what I had what I had learned, and what had been legalism for me back under the old way became part of the new structure. Um, first Peter talks about, uh, Peter talks in his letter about um, newborns and um, desiring the pure milk of the word and growing and all these images and metaphors about, about um, growing. And I, th- I think we have to start like that and then grow into something new. And we have to be really patient with ourselves Mm -hmm. as we do it. And, and, um, it's, it's like imitation, you know, my grandchildren imitate us and they learn, you know, I, I see things that that my grandson does that his dad did some of it's genetic and some of it's (laughs) imitation, but, um, you know, we have to let ourselves try on different ways of doing things, different ways of of following and um, maybe it doesn't work for everybody to do the same thing that, that they read about Amy Carmichael doing, or, mm-hmm. you know, we all um, have to, we have to be structured and, and disciplined in our lives, but at the same time, there's an awful lot of room for originality and creativity that I think sometimes we're afraid of.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that word picture of tearing back to the studs because that is so in line with a life repurposed, it's getting getting rid of the stuff that doesn't belong there anymore, and renovating. Mm-hmm. And so, right. I love that that that's just an excellent word picture because that's not a fun process. Anybody who's literally gone through remodeling in their home knows it's not fun, and spiritual remodeling can be painful too.
1: It is, and we tear out the things that we're not using anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we have a tendency to make good things. In an end in themselves you know um, the basics are there you know prayer bible study journaling um, meditation memorizing scripture those are all important building blocks but they're not an end in themselves they're a way that we create space for grace in our lives and god meets with us there and that's the end that that's the point of it all so yeah sometimes we have to tear things out
0: This episode is sponsored by ClassicMarriageBook.com. Is your marriage ready for the long haul? In a marriage, there will be hours of maintenance work, tinkering, breakdowns, meltdowns, blow-ups, cute photo ops, wear and tear, overhauls, memories, vacations, celebrations, and repairs. There will be moments where you haul yourselves back to the garage for work Like a trusty old truck, a classic marriage isn't perfect, but who can put a price tag on it? In this book, you'll find inspiration, honesty, and self-deprecating humor from the front seat of adventure with Michelle and Phil. Tips to get under the hood and keep your marriage on the road to a long future. Tune up questions in every chapter to work on your communication. Tools to cool overheated emotions and repair broken hearts. You can find more at ClassicMarriageBook.com and find out how to get your copy of classic marriage staying in love as your odometer climbs and the downloadable discussion questions that you can do together i love to leave a resource with our listeners and you have a blog that I'd like you to talk about because just looking through a little bit of it, it's such a great resource. You're blogging really regularly. Is it how many times a week are you posting? On Wednesdays, I
1: usually share, um, either a devotional post or I started out as a book review blog because I love to read. And it was like, wow, publishers will send me books for free and I can read all these books and, um, when you read, you can just see people's eyes glazing over when you, when you start talking about your books, if they're not readers. A lot of my friends mm-hmm. are more fiction readers and I, I have tended to read more nonfiction and I, I'd still read some fiction, but you know, all of a sudden you have this outlet for sharing what you're reading and people are interested because you know a book blogger attracts other people who like to read. And so it started out that way. And then I have moved more towards doing all my book reviews at the end of the month in one big post because I feel like the Lord has given me things to share that I want to, I want to talk about. So sometimes it's about parenting. And I I guess my blogging is that intently haphazard kind of thing. Like (laughs) like what I talked about my devotional practices, but every Sunday I do a thing called Sunday scripture where I I share a classic devotional post, you know, with a a, a passage of scripture and just what God has spoken to me about it. So it's whatever's going on on this hill in Maine eventually finds its way into the blog because I talk about parenting and um, grandparenting and empty nest and um, whatever happens to be going on here finds its way into the blog sooner or later. And I like to be able to share habits of holiness, what's working for me. And um, so that's it. So... Um, anybody who would like to be able to subscribe, um, there's a place on the blog for that. And you can tell by the way I talk about it, I'm just a real techie, you know, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but there's a field there where you can enter your email address and the blog will show up in your inbox whenever a new post is published. And I have a, um, a newsletter that I send out once a month to all the people who would like to receive that. And that's a little bit like the blog, but I, I tend to share a little more personally there. Sometimes I create resources. Um, like when I was when I started reading in First Peter, I shared my my reading schedule and I was surprised how many people
0: wanted to try reading through First Peter slowly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's oh. great. So where can people find that? What's the address?
1: My blog is MichelleMorin.net and it's Michelle with one L. So M-I-C-H-E-L-E-Morin,
0: M-O-R-I-N dot net. And I'll link to that in the show notes too for people who want to go there. I encourage you to check out that resource because Michelle has a really active presence there with people who are engaging and following. So you can actually have conversations every day that she posts a blog post there. There's people who are talking about it. So if you're somebody who wants to have conversations off social media, it's a perfect place for that because you're topically talking off social media.
1: Yeah, it's fun. I love it. I have a very accepting and active community there.
0: Yeah, I love that. So thank you. And what was the title again of the blog? You have a Living Our Days. Living Our Days. All right. So if you're googling search for Living Our Days, Michelle, I want you to leave our listeners with a last thought. What would you want to share with the person who's listening in today? I guess if if you are if you're
1: in a situation where you feel unhappy with your relationship with god if you if you feel like it's uh, tired if you feel like it's become work like it's something that you're you're on a treadmill and you're just trying to keep it going um i would urge you to stop and and just rethink things to project yourself into a future what what needs to change and then just dare to do that dare to to tear out the kitchen um start over again and and figure out what it is that that what components are necessary for growth? Do you need to read more? Do you need to read less? What, what feels tired to you? And, and have, the, have the, the courage to just start over because curiosity is so much a part of, of, of really who God made us to be. And yeah. once you're sure that you're right about everything, once, you're, once you um, <laughs> have the idea that there's nothing new out there, you stop taking in information and that's that is a sad place to be it's suffocating so i would just encourage people to ask themselves what story they want to be able to tell down the road and then figure out what they need to do to make it happen
0: great words of wisdom thank you michelle for sharing your heart with us today
1: thanks for having me
0: you've been listening to life repurposed with michelle rayburn Check out tips, resources, and inspiration at michellerayburn.com to get the show notes for this episode. Each week, I share links to everything mentioned in the episode, graphics you can share, and guest quotes. I also invite you to join the Life Repurposed Facebook community for weekly conversation with others on the journey of discovering the repurposed life. Before you go, which friend needs to hear this episode? Share a link with a note to invite them to listen. And thank you for listening too.